Amen. Thank you, Corey. If you have your Bibles, turn to Haggai chapter 1, Haggai. Um, For those of you who don't know where Haggai is, go to uh, the book of Matthew and go back about three books. Um, I want to be honest or ask this question. How many of you have ever heard a sermon from Haggai? Good. Now, if you've been here 10 years, you just lied because I preached through that book. <laughs> All right. So, but hey, Haggai, Haggai is one of these verses and, and or one of these books that, that, that is, is, is what I would call a cream of the crop from the Old Testament. Now, here's the funny thing about money when we talk about money, right? Everybody wants to tell everybody else how to spend their money, but then everybody wants everybody to stay out of their money when it comes to making that decision. You know what I mean? Right? Like this is the American culture. They're rich. They need to give it all to the poor. Wait, you don't work. So why don't you shut up? Right? Like that's the mentality for some people. Like they're rich. They got it. I, I need it. So they should be giving it to me. And we always want to determine or, or make a decision or make a statement about everybody else's money, just like we want to do in life. Right? Like I'm a believer. I follow Jesus. That's good for me. Whatever's good for you, you go and do that thing. And I want you to get this perspective, all right? We talked about it last week with with relationships, but we have to have a biblical perspective or a biblical viewpoint on all things. So last week we used the verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to think about in that, in the perspective. Last week, we were talking about relationships and intimacy and things like that. I want you to think about it from this mentality and perspective of, do I conform to the patterns of this world with debt, with finances, with generosity, with greed, with things like that? Or am I transformed by the renewing of my mind? Because it's very important to keep these things in perspective. We start with the gospel. We start with God. And when we start with God, then we begin to ask questions like this. What does that mean for my life? How do I live this out? What is God's expectation? What is God's principle on this? And so here's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. I've got 10 principles. We're not covering them all today, all right? But 10 principles based upon God's word. And listen, we can find a lot more. 10 principles based upon God's word. And I want to start in Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 5, all right? give you an idea what's going on. Haggai goes right along with the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, all right? Ezra's all about rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah's about rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And Haggai is a prophet who speaks to the people at this point in time, and it's a call to build the house of the Lord, to to reestablish the temple, all right? And listen to what he says in verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. As a matter of fact, we want to stand with me. We started, kind of talked about this last week. Stand with me as we continue to really stand on God's word, stand upon the truth, all right? Starting in verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your what? Ways, all right? Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink and you never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm and you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Let's pray. Father, we pray just today that you are honored and glorified, that God, we can align our lives with your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. When you think about money, what comes to mind? 
You don't have to answer that out, but what comes to mind? For some, it may be the money you don't have, right? For others, it may be the money others have that you wish you had. For others, you're just thinking about your next paycheck. For some, it may be how can I get more? How can I make better decisions? And honestly, some of you are like, don't you be telling me how to think about my money, right? That's the, that's the typical responses when it comes to money. There are people who love to talk money, and there are people who don't like to talk money. I grew up in a family where I was blessed with parents who taught us how to operate financially from a biblical perspective. Here's what was funny. When Dave Ramsey hit the market and he got real popular, I was like, my dad could have been Dave Ramsey. Because it was stuff I grew up learning that Dave Ramsey teaches and makes millions of dollars on. And I'm like, man, I just missed that market. So did my dad, right? There are biblical principles that we put into play in our lives so that we can walk in what we would call obedience and, listen, the abundant life that God called us to. Now, here's the big kicker. I said it all starts with God. You can have biblical principles and walk with biblical principles and still be lost and dying and go to hell because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It has to start with that right there. The gospel is good news. And the biblical principles that we get throughout God's word is good news for me to live by as long as I apply it. But if you don't walk in obedience and if you don't ever put your faith and trust in Jesus, then all the money that you make doesn't matter anyways because you're still in the same boat you have or the same situation you're always in is that as a result of your sin, you are eternally separated from God. So it starts with the gospel. It starts with Jesus' death on the cross. And it goes from there. Jesus' death on the cross for my sins. Have I put my faith and trust in the good news of the gospel? And then as a result of that, do I get to experience the life that he promised abundantly? Now listen, here's the thing. Some of you are going to think, well, you're, you're, you're talking about money like it's all about rich. No, it's not about rich. It's about being obedient with what you have. Like all throughout scripture, it was never about the people who have and the people who didn't. The expectation was whether you have a lot or you have a little, that you follow the principles or the guidelines that God set up so that, listen, so that you're not caught in a yoke of slavery, which is exactly where all of America is. You know, we were joking around and talking this morning. Can I, can I just be honest? If you look at our government and you look at the rest of what's going on in our society, do not learn how to handle money from them. Can you fathom $13 trillion? Trillion. Like, I can't think of a million, right? Like, somebody's like, I won the lotto, I won a million dollars. I'd be like, oh my gosh. That's life-changing. That's life-altering, right? And it's not about the $13 trillion. It's not about the $1 million. It's about what did God entrust you with and how do I walk in obedience to what he has blessed me with, all right? So keep that in mind. Whether you have a lot or a little doesn't matter right now. What I have to begin to ask is, God, am I being obedient to your word? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Well, that's kind of a, right? I mean, like, I love money. There's never enough. But whoever loves wealth, or he says this, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. It's not about the love of money. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. 
It doesn't say money's evil. It says the love of money. In other words, the love of money above God. So I need to love God first and then go from there. So Listen, as I grew up, I told you a couple of things over the relationship series. When I was growing up and I kind of got distracted by what was going on as a teenager, I would sit in the back when I would kind of lose what the preacher was talking about, and I would look up things. I'd look up things like marriage, relationships, sex, dating type, you know, do whatever I could, find out. And I looked up money. And I did not grow up in a rich household. I grew up with a dad who worked 70 hours a week, who did everything he could provide for his family. At one point, was working two jobs when I was little to try and make ends meet. We never saw him. But listen, our attitude toward money reflects the nature of our heart. And listen, reveals whose, whose we are. Your heart will determine very quickly whose you are. If I do everything for the almighty dollar, then that dollar owns you. That's slavery to finances. That's slavery or a love of money. Listen, God's chief competition for your heart is money. As a matter of fact, it's been said that there are three types of people. The haves, the have-nots, and the have-not paid for what they have. Right? There are those who have it, those who don't, and those who are still paying for what they ain't got. So... Um, but listen, one of the things that we see all throughout America is this idea of slavery. And the addiction to money or the addiction to debt is the new slavery in America. Let's be realistic. The American government is addicted to debt because the American people are addicted to debt. And the American people let the American government get away with the debt that they love to long for. We are in a world of hurt. Because simply stated, that American households, including Christian households, do not operate under the biblical principles that God laid out in his word so that we can walk, listen, in freedom and not in slavery. Do you want to experience freedom? Do you want to see God restore the ruins of your finances to restore the relationships that you have? Matter of fact, we didn't even really talk about this, but do you guys realize that the two biggest arguments that lead to divorce in marriages? Anybody know? Money and sex. Money and sex. Huh, man, that's two weeks in a row. <laughs> talked about intimacy last week. We're talking about money this week, right? Those are the two biggest arguments. And even if you're married and you never get a divorce, guess where your biggest arguments usually come from? Guess where the most stress oftentimes comes from? Guess where anxiety and worry and frustration come from? I will, I'll be honest with you, and I love you. I've been here 10 years, right? At the end of year one, I remember going to Sarah, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm tapping out. I quit. It's over. We're out. And you may look and go, what are you talking about? Because we were strapped, we were tight, and it just didn't seem to be going as well as we thought it would be. Like I, I, would, I told Sarah, at the end of year one, we're going to be running 100. And we were running 35. We'd gone from about 20 to 35. We'd had four baptisms. And Sarah goes, what rock were you hiding under when you thought we'd actually have 100? And I was like, what are you talking about? That's like, that's church growth, Right. And Sarah goes, we doubled. That's success. We've been obedient. We've almost doubled in number. We've had four baptisms, and you want to tap out. And here's the reality. Some of you are ready to tap out on your finances because there's usually people who deal with it in two ways. 
I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to make the difficult decision so I can begin to walk in the freedom that God offers. Or I'm going to be the ostrich and I'm going to bury my head in the sand and I'll just neglect it and forget about it. And the problem with that is you're going to create a bigger problem. You're going to be further in debt. You're going to go further into chasing the almighty dollar. And listen, there is nothing wrong with money when I go about it from a biblical perspective. So listen, as we jump into this, I want you to keep that in mind. When we talk about the three types of people, for some of you, I mean, we just went to Disney back in, in January, and I remember going on the Seven Dwarfs uh, uh, train ride when we, we went out there. I don't remember which park it was. And they, they were always like, hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off. Yeah, for some of you, it's I-O, I-O. So off to work I go. And the, rea- <laughs> the reality I, I saw, uh, and I wish I would have kept it, I, I saw a thing two weeks ago on CBS News. I don't watch news very much, um, but I watched this, and it was like 70% of people who are 60 and older have no money for retirement in America. And I want to tell you this. That's because you didn't follow biblical principles. You didn't live by a standard that God set up, and we've tried to keep up with everybody else. So here's the big idea. If you want to remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God wants us to be good stewards of our finances so we can experience, listen, the full life that he desires for us. So many times we want to settle for second best because we want to settle for the slavery issue when the reality is God has this full and abundant life. And so when it comes to finances, we have to understand that it has to be all about planning and being prepared and operating by these principles. Because listen, when we plan to fail, we what? We fail to plan every time. If you want to avoid finances, you better marry somebody who loves to deal with finances. Because the simple fact remains that we've all got to deal with it. And these are basic things. As a matter of fact, if you grew up in school... Back in the day, you probably had finances, right? Like, we had financial stuff, and I think they're starting to teach that again. But for the longest time, people were like, well, the school ain't teaching it, I ain't teaching it. And listen, if you grew up in a family where your mom and dad misused money, it's the time for you to not use that as an excuse. I'm just going to be point blank honest. You cannot use that as an excuse. Now I have to operate from a biblical perspective. So here's biblical perspective or principle number one. It's called the principle of ownership. Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. When I look at that, and Corey just kind of brought this idea up, everything begins and ends with God. God owns it all. God created all. God was creative in the way he did it, right? He spoke everything into existence, but with man, what's he do? He forms and he fashions, and he says, man, your, your whole goal here is to cultivate and to rule over the earth. Now, I always talk about this, but when I come from or, or look at things that are going on in the world, I look from a biblical perspective. So people will ask, well, how can you hunt? Very easy. God told me to rule over the fish of the air, the birds of the sea, and all those things. Now, I want, you, I want to clarify this because a lot of people are like, oh, hunters are so mean. Do you buy meat? It comes from somewhere. And if you don't buy meat, everything comes from somewhere. You're killing something to provide for you, period. I don't care if it's a plant, 
that regrows, you're killing it off to, so it can rebloom or blossom and things like that. But I want you to understand, when, the, when I look under that perspective, this biblical perspective, when he says to be here and to rule over it, that I, I hunt so that I can provide for my family. I hunt so that we don't have to go to the store and pay Walmart twice as much as what it costs me, and really probably more like four or five times as much as it costs me when I kill the deer and I take it and I process it myself. See, these are the benefits that come about. So there's these biblical perspectives that I operate. Same with finances. It's the principle of ownership. God gave me a goal, and that goal is this, that God is the source of all things, and I must establish God's ownership first in my life. So listen, all of your money, all of your resources that God has provided are whose? God's. That's victory number one and principle number one. That's the principle of ownership, that God owns everything, including myself. Now, you may say, well, I'm, I'm not a believer. I don't believe in Jesus and stuff like that. You haven't given your heart over to him. God still owns you. You haven't given your life. You haven't laid it down as, as Romans 12.1 says, as a living sacrifice. Correct, yes. But God owns all things. Matter of fact, if you were to go back and study the, 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 the success of the United States of America is because we operated off biblical principles from a financial perspective. So there's this principle of ownership. If I approach money that, or money in a way that says God is the source of all things, then I walk in obedience to what God has called me to do. See, when God becomes your source, you aren't owned by the resource. Because the resource is the very thing that God is giving you. So if God is the source of it, I'm not owned by the resource. And a lot of people go, well, I'm not owned by the resource anyway. Okay, well, if you look at your job as the source, what happens when you lose your job? You've lost your resource. But if I look at it as it's all God's, when I lose my job and I've lived with a biblical perspective, and I've been prepared for the things that God says, guess what? It's just a bump in the road. It's just a curve in the path. When I thought I was running a straight road, God was like, oh, I'm going to veer you over here, and guess what? I'm going to provide. Now, here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible says, I will always provide for your needs. In America, we're caught on our wants, we're caught on keeping up with the Joneses. So principle number one is the principle of ownership. And greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is the idea that I can use everything I have to consume everything that I need or want to a certain extent. So there's the principle of ownership. Principle number two is the principle of production. Now, some of you are going to go like, you seem like you're focusing on something here. Listen, if you don't work in the Bible, you don't, you don't eat. You don't get paid. The Bible makes that very clear. And I'm going to be very clear on this aspect. When you don't work, you don't earn money. And when you don't earn money, then somebody has to cover the cost. And so it's this idea of the principle of production. Everything that I do is a result of me working to, to bring honor and glory to God. See, we produce because that is how God created us. God produced us. And as a result, God set it up as ownership for us to produce within the land, to be 
over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, to begin to cultivate what was going on. And Jesus, listen, Jesus and Paul both affirmed this idea that hard work should be rewarded by a fair wage. You can look it up in in Luke chapter 10. You can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. I just want to give those to you. But Proverbs 28, verse 19 says this. He who works his land will have an abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. For some reason, and I'm not knocking, there's a lot of people who are working hard. If you are a person who works hard, great. I believe that Christians should be the hardest and best workers in any business. When your business succeeds that you're working for, guess who should succeed? And if you feel like you're getting mistreated, go find another job. Don't work for people who are trashing you, or maybe God's called you to stay there so that you can present the gospel to them and live a Christian life in front of people who don't follow these ideas. See, the best and hardest workers should always be followers of Jesus. But listen, money is not the only reason to work. When you go to work, I want you to ask yourself this question. What can I do today as I work that would glorify God in my job? How do I bring benefit to my employer? How do I let them see Jesus in the way I work? How I talk about others while I'm at work? How I look out for the benefit of the business? See, God is glorified when we apply our gifts in work and and we are rewarded with money. That's literally how he lays out in scripture. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not human masters. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae to say, listen, here's the big picture. You need to work hard. And the reason you work hard is because work is an act of worship. You are are letting people know that you take the Lord very seriously in how you work. So my question from that state is, are you a person who produces? Or are you the person who comes in, hits the time clock, and looks for ways to just barely skirt around and barely get the job done? Like, I struggled with that. I remember getting out of the Navy. I work, grew up working hard. I get out of the Navy. I go to SBU. I started working at SBU in what was called the physical plant. Uh, and so we did all kinds of maintenance around the school. And they're like, hey, we need you to go do this. All right, go and do it and come back. And they'd be like, you're done already? Yep. They give me another one. It kept getting, and I did this for like the first two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, my boss pulls me off. He's like, hey, you're making us look bad. And I was like, what? He's like, you're getting all these things done. We're not going to have any work to do. And I was like, so what are you saying? <laughs> like, that, that, it does not compute in my mind, right, to, to, to skate. It doesn't compute in my mind to just barely get by. It doesn't compute in my mind. And listen, you may be that person who says, I'm just trying to get by. When that's the problem right there, if we approach finances and approach money from I'm just trying to get by, then we miss out on the whole benefit of what God wants to do in our production. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to flip over there. I want to read it real quick. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says this. Sorry, I found my bookmark. Listen to what he says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now, you may say, well, I don't understand the whole point of what it's talking about with poverty. Listen, 
The Bible is very clear that you help out those who are poor. When we get into trouble, we're going to walk alongside that. But it's also very clear if the person is not willing to make a step to get out of the situation they're in, if they continue to run continuously, headlong, running into problems more and more, and they begin to go, I'm just, and they make excuses, the Bible is very clear. Nope, it's over. It's not a free hand out. It's a help up. So it's the principle of production. I need to be a person who produces. Number three is the principle of stewardship. And this idea of stewardship is this. We already looked at God is the owner of all things. Now I am here to steward the very resources that God has given me. That means your money too. Are you a good steward of what God has given you where you're at? I'm not asking you to look at Bill Gates and go, well, if I was Bill Gates, I'd spend his money this way. That ain't on you. Bill Gates is held accountable by God himself for his money. It's you. Everybody has to look internally. This is not a point to look around, even in the church, and go, well, that guy's got more money than me, so why are he telling me to tell how to spend my money? Everybody always wants to tell everybody else how to spend their money. The principle of stewardship is this, that God creates everything, and he puts Adam in the garden to work, and that work is the stewardship of all of the creation that God has given him. The fundamental principle of biblical stewardship stems from the very beginning of time, that I cultivate and I multiply what God has given, what God the source has given as the resource. And he wants you to multiply your money. He wants you to multiply your influence. He wants you to multiply your time. He wants you to multiply the impact you have with the gospel. It's, a, it's the principle of stewardship. And listen, faithful stewards must be obedient to what God wants us to do with what he has resourced us with. Are you a faithful steward? That is a key question. Since my money is God's money, every spending decision I make is a spiritual decision. This is huge. That's the principle of stewardship. How I spend my money should be based upon a spiritual decision. Do you pray about it? Do you waste money? Does money, like, go back to Haggai, right? You save, but yet it continues to go out the holes in your pockets. See, that's the reality for most, I would say most Americans, and even a lot of Christians that I've been around, right? Like we have these holes in our pocket because we haven't been good stewards with what we got. You know, the biblical principle of stewardship really is played out in, in the parable of the talents. That God gave one guy 10, one guy five, and one guy one talent. The 10 went and invested the 10 and made 20. The five went and invested the five and he made 10, right? Or doubled it, right? Now the one guy goes, well, he only gave me one, so I'm going to what? I'm going to hide it. And when he hid it, that's not stewardship. You don't hide your gift. You don't hide the, 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 the source or the resource that God gave you. God says, I want you to multiply it. I want you to cultivate it. I want you to be a good steward of what's going on. So when we unpack this, there's the ownership, there's production, there's stewardship. Here's number four. It's the principle of planning. The Bible is very clear, right? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Now, that's not the Bible statement. That's not at all what it says. But in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, there's a very clear explanation about this idea of, of planning, okay? And in this idea of planning, 
Sorry, I got a flip there real quick. This idea of planning, it's very clear that when I plan properly, then I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm going to be successful with what God has. But if you don't tell your money where to go, your money will tell you where it's going to go. In other words, this is this idea that I budget. Listen to Luke chapter 14, verse 28. It says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not sit, first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Now, I think there are a couple of things here. Number one, he's planning. And number two, he's going to live within a budget so that he can complete the task. See, in America, we're very quick. We run into car debt. Can I tell you something? Please, if you got a $500 car loan, regardless of how much money you got, I don't, it's the dumbest thing ever. I'm just going to put it that way. A car is a necessary evil. Y'all get that, right? A car should make you money, not cost you money. The point of the car is to get you to a job to make money. And what's funny is we live in this world, it's like, man, I'm like, okay, when I first started buying cars, you had a four-year note on a car. That was it. Then it became five. Anybody want to tell me what they're running now? Seven to 10 on a car. You're going to take out a 10-year loan on a car that the minute you drive it off just went down $20,000? That's brilliant. No, that's the lie. That's conforming to the pattern of this world because Satan says, listen, if I can create division and if I can create debt, these people will stay here and they're not going to invest their money in eternal principles. They're not going to invest their money in gospel sharing organizations. They're not going to invest their money in helping people who don't know how to do this. They're going to stay so stuck in debt that they're going to think from day to day to day, how do I just continue to survive? And God doesn't say, I just came so that you could survive. Jesus came so that you could have an abundant life. And I believe this wholeheartedly, that the abundance is not the amount of money you have. It's what you do with what you got that you get to experience the blessings. And I said this from day one when I came here. I came here, I took a $35,000 pay cut to come here. And I'm not going to lie, it has never been easy. But you know what's funny is my God has provided every single time. We faithfully have given, even out of the little we had, and God always multiplied it. And what's funny all throughout scripture is this, that no matter how little or how much somebody had, God multiplied the amount because he, listen, he is the source that multiplies the resources he gives me. I just have to be a good steward of what he's given so it's this principle of planning, failure to plan on your part. And listen, this is my pet peeve. And I'll, I'll say this, you probably heard this. Maybe you've even had some people post it. Failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. Like, I'm just going to put it point blank on that. It never fails on Sunday morning. Somebody walks in and says, hey, we need money. All right. Well, we need it now. And I'm going to tell you how we operate as a benevolence here at the church. If you were to come in and request benevolence, and, and you may say, well, that's pretty cruel and harsh. We tell you it's a 24 to 48 hour period before you can get any money, number one. Number two, you're not getting cash. Guess what we saw with that? You may say, well, pastor, you're kind of being hard-hearted. No, we're being a good steward with the money that you, that faithful tithers have given to the church 
because we do believe that people manipulate situations. So it's a 24 to 48-hour period before you're helped, before you get the financial help you need. We never give you cash, and we only deal with the people you owe money. That's us as a church being good stewards with what's gone on. Listen, everybody has hard times. I get it. We have accidents. We have problems. We have situations that arise, and all of a sudden, we're not prepared. But I want you to be prepared because the Bible is very clear on this preparation aspect. And we're going to talk more about this over the next coming weeks, right? But I'm going to give you a basic principle, 10, 10, 80. If you grew up in church or if you grew up with parents who taught you this, 10% goes to the church, 10% goes into savings, and 80% is mine to spend. You may be like, well, again, now you're telling me how to spend my money. Whose money? God's money. God's the source, and he gives me the resources. So I sit back and I plan what God has for me because, listen, I know that storms are going to happen. Matter of fact, we've had a couple storms recently, right? But the good thing was we save, we save, we save, we save. Oh, dang, that's a $1,000 bill. I don't need to take out a loan and I'm not putting on a credit card. I just have to cut into the savings, And every time it hurts, doesn't it? You're like, oh, I had plans for that money. And God's like, yep, I did too. And you saved it, and it's gone because that's life. Like, I was blown away when I started studying a lot of this stuff. And listen, I could talk finances all day. probably why we're a little long. I mean, there's, but we'll wrap up here quickly. I love to talk finances. And it's not because I'm rich. I love to talk finances because I believe that God gave us finances to be a blessing and to be blessed. To be a blessing and to be blessed. And when I prepare properly, when I operate under the principle of preparation that God is giving me finances so that I'm prepared for every good time and every bad time, for every mountain peak and every valley, Then I can walk, listen, through the valley of the shadow of death in my finances to a certain extent and fear no evil. Why? Because God has sourced me with the resources that can make ends meet. That's the principle of preparation. Zig Ziglar says it this way. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And that's oftentimes how a lot of us approach our finances, And so I want to encourage you, when it comes to this idea of planning, you need to sit down and plan your money. You need to tell your money where to go, or your money is just going to go through the holes in your pockets, just like Haggai chapter 1 says. Here's the fifth principle, principle number five, principle of freedom. I already said this earlier, but debt is the American slavery of today. I started looking up all this stuff on debt, and I couldn't believe it. 45% of Americans carry a balance on a credit card, and the average credit card debt per household is almost $15,000. Then throw on top of that a 7- to 10-year car mortgage or a car loan. On top of that, you throw on a mortgage. On top of that, you throw on school debt. On top of that, you throw on whatever else is going on. And we've got a bunch of uh, people running around going, I don't know where I'm going to make ends meet. And God says, live within your means. Don't put it on credit. Debt is spending tomorrow's money today. 
And I'll be very clear that my wife and I, when we moved here, we moved here debt-free other than our house. So you're like, how'd you take a $35,000 pay cut? Number one, because God called us. And here's the reality. God called us. We prepared for that call. And as we were preparing, God said, here's where you're going to go. And it was like, hmm, wait a second. Not only did I take a $35,000 pay cut, but I came to a church where we had no benefits, no insurance. And so I left a job making more money there than here, and then I had no insurance. And guess what? God provides. So it's the principle, listen, of freedom. I have to remain debt-free as much as possible. Now, listen, I'll, I, I will clarify on this. I think that's obviously limited based upon a mortgage. You're not going to be able to save $200,000 for a house and, and go out and do it. But a mortgage, if I live within the means, I can operate in a proper way. As a matter of fact, we say it this way. You should never spend more than 30% of your income on house, rental, whatever it is. House payment, rental, and what we have, like Sarah and I will watch some of these real estate shows. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like uh, uh, Love It or Listed and things like that. And they're like, oh, our budget's this. And the realtor's like, look at this. It's 200000 over your budget. And I'm like, dude, you're fired. You are my agent. You're fired. Like, you're not listening to me. Matter of fact, our agent at one point, she's like, I want to show you this house. It's only $40,000 over your budget. I was like, nope, not going to look. She's like, what do you mean you're not going to look? It's only $40,000. Only $40, I know my income, and you're not the one paying it. So unless you want to pony up and cut your commission and then pay for $40,000 in my house, we're not going to look at it. And I'm just like, you don't want to deal with me with finances because I'm just going to tell you the way it is, <laughs> right? Like, you, you got a question, I'm going to be a straight shooter. But when I say there's a budget, there's a budget. And you have to operate within that budget. So that's the principle of freedom because freedom allows me, listen, the freedom from debt allows me to do things that I would never be able to do as a result of debt. Proverbs 22 verse seven says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is what? Slave to the lender. When you owe money, who do you owe it to and who are you serving? The people you owe the money to. And so while we sit back and we can say, hey, on a mortgage, you're a slave to the mortgage. Yes, but listen, if I live within that means of that 30% rule, then I can operate effectively because I can pay all the rest of my bills. And as I pay all the rest of my bills, I can save as well for the rainy day when the toilet overflows, goes everywhere, or right, my water pipe freezes because it got so cold outside and my pipe is right on the outside wall and we have issues. Those are the things that come up. Or my roof starts leaking. Or like when we moved into our house, we had the full inspection done and then we're like, oh, by the way, after we had closed and bought the house and we're a month in, your fireplaces don't work. What do you mean they don't work? Well, there was a fire at some point. We didn't disclose that. And the flue tiles are cracked. So it's going to cost $10,000 to fix your chimney. Wait, what? Like, you want to talk about livid? At that point, I called up my real estate agent, and then I called up the other real estate agent, and I said, y'all better figure this out, because, <laughs> and it didn't go anywhere, because they were like, 
right? But I told you, I'm, I'm like cutthroat. Like, we're going we're gonna to be, oh, matter of fact, I'll even tell you when, uh, when our church got hit, we got hit with an insurance claim on the roof. And we got this roof replaced and the flat roof, they're like, no, we're not covering that. And I called up the insurance adjuster and I said, I don't know what kind of pastor you think you're dealing with, but I don't play these games. You're replacing this roof. And I mean, I was like, just, <laughs> and he's like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I know he's just trying to get me off the phone, but I'm like, I'm fighting for our people. I'm fighting for our church. We're going to save this money. We still paid. <laughs> we had to take out a loan. We paid off that. We, we got that roof redone and we paid off the loan just last year, thankful for you guys and, and your giving. And since we've been here 10 years, we have spent almost $300,000 on this building with deferred maintenance and furnaces and parking lots and roofs and everything else. But I want you to understand this. That's the principle of freedom. We are debt-free as a church. And we want to operate that way. We, we have reserves. We have backup. Because why? We want to operate from the principle of freedom because we don't want to be slave to the lender. And the last one, and this is the biggest one I think is this, the principle of contentment. Paul says this in, in Philippians chapter 4, and I think we can all base our lives off this truth. Paul says it in a very clear way. I know what it is to be in need. I think we've all been there, right? I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. My question is this, are you content with where God has you? Are you content in resting in Jesus? Are you content in saying, I don't need to chase the next biggest thing. I don't need to have the financial well-being that everybody else has. But listen, I've learned to be content with what I have. And what he says is like this, right? When I had nothing and when I've had everything, I've learned to be content. And here's the principle of contentment because here's where Americans often get in trouble. I got a pay raise. My pay went through the roof. I'm getting an extra $10,000 a year. And guess where that $10,000 does? Right out the door. Warren Buffett, did you know this? Warren Buffett's one of the five richest men in the world. Still lives in the same stinking house he's had since 19-whatever in Omaha, Nebraska. Like I'm sitting here going, if I'm the fifth richest man in the world, I'm moving on up. To the east side, if you know what I'm talking about. All the old people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing the Jeffersons, and George and Wheezy are moving on up. And Warren Buffett's like, nope. Nope. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. In America, we're house poor and relationally poor. Because we've made it all about this house when our kids need parents who are going to love them and show them the goodness of Jesus. Listen, whether in need or in riches, I have to learn to rest and be content with where God has me and know, listen, 
know that if I'm faithful with the stewardship and the production, that God's as the source is going to resource me in even greater ways. Because listen, 10, 5, and 1. And right now you may be the one with one, but God says when you're faithful with a little and you don't bury it, but you invest it, if that one would have invested it and got two, God probably would have said, now you got two, I'm going to give you four. Instead, what's he say? You got the one, you're not faithful with the one, I'm going to take it from you and I'm going to give it to who? The one who's faithful with 10. That's the principle of return. And the return is this, that when I'm faithful with the little things, that God's going to give me stewardship over more. But when I'm unfaithful with the little things, please hear me out. He is not going to give you stewardship over larger, greater, and bigger things when you're not faithful with the one that you already got. All of this is built on that principle. And I want to wrap up with this. If you want to live in the freedom that God offers, with the grace that we can understand based upon scripture, when we operate in this way, that God wants you to be a good steward of the finances so that you can experience and walk in the fullness of life that he offers. And so today, I believe that there are some that you've just got to make a decision. It may be a decision to follow Jesus for the first time. But it may also be a decision that today at lunchtime, you guys need to go home. You and husband and wife need to go home and just have a heart-to-heart about finances. Not an argument, a heart-to-heart. And begin to plan. What are the steps we can put in place that begins to lead us into a road of freedom because we want to be good stewards? We want to be good stewards so our kids can see what it's like to, no matter what, when we have little or we have plenty, that we were faithful with what God gave us. Father, I know today that there are some hearts that are probably heavy. God, I know some that are in need, and I know some that have plenty. And Lord, I pray that we would be content with where we're at, but not content to stay with where we're at. God, we may need to make decisions and choices in our life that say this is not a need or not a want, but a need. And there may be other decisions that say this is not a need, this is a want. And God, maybe we need to cut away the wants so that we can walk in the freedom that you've offered us and we can begin to put the principles in place and in practice so that we can reap the benefits of working and cultivating and tilling the ground that you've given us. And so, Lord, I pray. I know that it's always easier to to look at everybody else, but God, I pray that we would look internally, that we would ask the tough questions, that we would begin to plan and put the steps into place so that we can operate in a great way, so that we can walk in the freedom that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.